Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Not only do we have a Texans postgame in this one, but later in the show, we have a special guest to talk about the best thing that happened in Houston sports this weekend. Hey, it's not all sadness, so stay tuned for that. Joining me is my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and longtime journalist, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, what an incredibly heartbreaking loss. Nick Martin with a terrible snap at the most important moment of the game. When you look back at the Browns and Titans games and you combine it with this, Stephen, they could easily have won seven of their last eight and been in the playoff hunt under Romeo. How many years do we see this, Robert, where a team just keeps getting close and keeps getting close and keeps getting close and they lose? And, you know, reg- regardless of how close you get, it, it's still the, the scoreboard still counts and it just shows where your team is. And you could tell just from some of the comments that Deshaun made in his press conference how frustrating it is for him, not just this game. And, you know, he was, of course, Deshaun being Deshaun was hard on himself about the, this particular game and, and really the the last snap he took, but just the whole aspect of losing, did, did he actually use the SH word in one of his comments about how he was tired of losing? I, I had to read that twice just to make sure I was reading it right. But it is definitely frustrating when you just keep coming up short week after week, you know, and, and you turn any of those games around and the Texans would still be in the playoff hunt. That, that's got to be the most frustrating thing, especially if you're Deshaun Watson or anyone else on the Texans. And how about this? You could say the Texans could be a combined four yards away from being 4-0 and in the AFC South. The failed two-point versus the Titans. The bad snap today, as everybody saw, and you said it, Deshaun with the towel wrapped over him when the game was over. He seemed devastated. It took him a while before he left the field, Stephen. The one thing that went through my mind when I saw his reaction and his comments afterwards and everything that happened. Have we ever seen that kind of disappointment from James Harden after a major loss? I mean, a major contrast, uh, perfect contrast to what was happening with the Texans. Harden wasn't showing up to the Rockets first practice on Sunday. Steven, we saw a video of him this weekend at a birthday party in some Las Vegas nightclub during a pandemic. Instead of at practice, it was the perfect dichotomy between Deshaun and James Harden right there. Well, that's right, Robert. And then this this is why James gets so much criticism. I mean, I don't care how many points he puts up on the board. You know, if he goes through these stretches where he's scoring 40 points a game and he's setting all these records, you know, what it boils down to, though, is the big picture. And I'm not just talking about on the court with the Rockets failing to win a championship so far with James Harden at the helm. It's It's just the way he's approaching the game. And You know, at the end of the day, that's really what it comes down to. And the reason that the Texans have not won a Super Bowl because of uh, with Deshaun Watson as quarterback is not because Deshaun Watson is a quarterback. There are a lot of other factors that go into it. But I, I think you and I would agree and so many others would say that the the Rockets haven't won a championship in a lot of cases because of James Harden and his inability to get them there the quote that really summed it up for Deshaun after this game and and basically it's it's something I don't think I would hear from James Harden he said as a player over my career even going back to Little League I haven't lost this many games it's tough to handle and here's where I just thought this is Deshaun 
and not James saying this. He said, you try to carry so much on your shoulders that there becomes a breaking point. This is a guy that cares, Stephen. He cares about winning and losing. You sense it. He's not at the club afterward. We don't have shots of him at a club, some you know nightclub dancing or something like that. That's not Deshaun Watson, and, and it just that says so much to the fans. And it's just the that's the difference of why I'm just like I'm just ready for Harden to go, and I can't love Deshaun more than I do. And you know what, Robert? If, if you may notice, Deshaun has started making these kind of statements after Bill O'Brien has been fired. I mean, you you could see the frustration before that, but he didn't really put it into words as much as he's been doing since Bill O'Brien has been gone. We have seen a different Deshaun Watson. And I'm not talking about just on the field with what he's doing and, and what he's trying to do, but I'm talking about in the things that he's saying. I mean, I, I tell you what, I like this Deshaun Watson. I, I like this version of Deshaun, not just on the field, but he's he's sensing, you know, he's he's talking about his frustrations, but he's doing it in a way. He's not slamming his teammates. He's not calling people out publicly one by one. He's doing it in such a manner that it's still looks good for him. It doesn't put him in a bad light, at least not to me, and I'm sure not to you. I like this Deshaun Watson, Robert. I really do. You know, there's so much we can talk about with this game, and people can get sidetracked by the shiny objects and receivers and running backs and J.J. Watt. We can get to all of that. But let me just start off by saying, after watching another horrific game by Nick Martin, Calamete, Fulton, all of this interior offensive line, the whole these all these guys. I, I'm I'm done with these clowns. They stink at pass blocking. They stink at run blocking, and I, I'm just tired of a bunch of losers who can't help out Deshaun win games. It's like the nightmare that never ends, isn't it, Robert? We we keep talking about the line over and over and over, year after year after year. It's just it's a nightmare. They just like when are we going to wake up from this? You know, I, I mean. The, the snap from Martin on that final play was low. Yeah, Deshaun, of course, he's going to say, oh, I should have caught it. But the fact is, it was a bad snap. And it just, you know, you, you just, I, I, I can't put this on Deshaun. I just can't. You know, whether he, he did too many other things well in this game and over the last few weeks. But, yeah, the, the line is just going to continue to be a source of painful discussion until it straightens itself out. And, and Nick Martin is, is definitely one of those guys. Yeah, I'm going to get more into what happened with some of the offensive line play as this thing goes along. But, boy, believe it or not, the Texans' defense did their job in the second half. It was the offense that had five straight frustrating possessions, including the two turnovers. Neither one, by the way, do I think is Deshaun's fault. But um, you want to start with the offense or the defense, Stephen? <laughs> well, I guess we can start with the defense. I, I mean – T.Y. Hilton still got his, you know, 100-plus yards. But honestly, I, I didn't feel that it was the type of effort. I, I You know, at, at first you kind of thought, once again, the defense was going to cave in. You know, and you've got guys trying to step in with the loss of Bradley Roby. Um, I, I honestly thought it was going to be worse, Robert, than it actually turned out to be. Yeah, if you look at the possessions in the second half, I mean, that's about as well as we've seen the defense play. And that's eh, Phillip Rivers of the Colts offense. And maybe they aren't that good outside of T.Y. And even T.Y. hadn't had a good year at all. But you look at the second half, there was a punt near midfield in the first possession. Watch shut down this series with a sack and tackle for loss. We could get into Watt a little bit more later. But 
Next series, A.J. Moore with the big sack to end the drive. Next series, Brendan Scarlett with the big sack to end the drive. I mean, three sacks, three drives. Uh, that was huge. And then on that fourth and one at the five-yard line, uh, we'll, for- we'll forget this because the Texans lost, but Cunningham and Terrell Adams with a big stop on the run. And then they get the punt at midfield. Colts help them out with a couple of offensive penalties to sh- shut down the drive, but they were fantastic in the second half. First half, um, J.J. shut down one of the drives with a, a tackle for loss on second down. The other drives, not as good. It was a 21-yard touchdown by T.Y. Hines with a five-yard run on an eight-play 72-yard drive. Eric Murray, oh, don't get me started on, on what the Texans are going to be paying him. Uh, 15-yard face mask penalty, bad coverage on third and long. That was your Eric Murray deal. Then they had a drive that led to a, a, a touchdown pass from Rivers to Taylor blown, badly blown coverage. That was maybe the worst defensive play of the game on a fourth and four. So that makes it 21 to 10. And then they get the field goal on that fifth drive. So four out of five drives, they score. But I mean, Steven, that's that's about as good as we've seen them play in the second half of this game. Well, and you you mentioned the sacks. I mean, the the pass rush has been something that has been consistent for most of the uh, inconsistent, I should say, most of the year. And that just really sets the table for the rest of the defense if you can get a great pass rush. And, you know, you you had Cunningham and Terrell Adams, who's just been playing better week after week after week. Jacob Martin got himself a sack. Uh, you know, Aminahu played pretty well. So, you know, we're starting to see some of these guys take little steps forward each week, and that's good to see. I mean, there's still some inconsistencies, as you pointed out. But, yeah, the second half, I mean, if if the Texans' offense – had gotten on track in that second half. And, you know, all it took was one more possession and we could be talking about a Texans victory. couple of things that stuck out to me. Uh, Tyrell Adams, a lot of tackles. He gets tackles. Uh, sometimes those tackles, though, it seems like a running back hits him and he gets carried an extra five yards, gains some muscle, gets some <laughs> better lower body, uh, I, I guess, uh, maybe some core strength or something like that because he's not a good tackler. He's good at being there. He's just not good at actually stopping the guy at the point of attack all the time, although he had the big stop on fourth down at the end of the game. The other story for me, J.J. Watt, another big week, Stephen, a sack, a quarterback hit, four tackles for loss. Well, maybe we just need to keep talking about trading J.J. every week, and uh, that might motivate him to get, just keep getting better and better because, yeah, he's he's looking like – the J.J. Watt that we've known and loved, you know, for all these years. And getting back to Terrell Adams, I, I think you've even pointed out in a previous podcast, and, and rightfully so, he's not the most athletic player on the field, but he does, he just makes plays. But, yeah, maybe some more core strength would certainly help him maybe to get even better and, and make even bigger plays. Zach Cunningham was making plays more so uh, in some of the previous games uh last few weeks I, I didn't see him except again for that last play I mean him and Adams and that last play they made the fourth down stop but I want to see more impact plays getting guys behind the line of scrimmage I want to see some more of that from especially a guy like Cunningham who you're paying all this money to and and as far as Eric Murray I, I want to circle back to that one Stephen because boy as, as you watch him suck you just reminded that Bill O'Brien gave him a $4.5 million signing bonus. If they release him next year, it's $6.5 million in dead cap. 
I mean, ugh, if they release him in two years, it's still $1.5 million in dead cap. He's just a guy. He's only a guy. Yeah, it, it is. It, it's Again, it's, it's another nightmare that you wonder when you're going to wake up from. You know, some of Bill O'Brien's people, <laughs> players, that have left, but there are some that are going to have to hang around a bit because you paid them all this money. And Eric Murray has been he, – he's definitely been a disappointment for me, Robert, all year, just, to, you know, especially – when you stack up the, how much money he is making. Anything else on the offensive side? I mean, the defensive side, because I'll, I'll get to the offense in a sec here. And that's really about it. I just think, you know, the consistency factor is going to need to kick in. And you talked about impact plays. I think if they can make some more impact plays, that consistency will level itself out. And some of those little fits and starts that they've made, especially in the first half, would be minimized a great deal if that happens. Yeah, the other thing, I mean, before we close out, I guess we should say without Bradley Roby, uh, T.Y. Hilton we knew was going to go off. He went off. You know, when you're going to face wide receivers like that without Bradley Roby, there's not much you can do. But we thought they were going to have to basically run the table. Obviously, that's not going to happen. We thought they had a shot. They should have won this game. Uh, And I guess let's get to the – well, how about a positive to start off with uh, offensively and – Let's talk about Kiki Cutie because eight catches, 141 yards, and get this, Stephen. This is a stat for you. In four games versus the Colts in his career, Kiki Cutie has 33 catches for 385 yards. And our, our former GM and coach just gave me the finger for bringing that up. Mm, wow. And and how about the fact, I mean, is he becoming the T.Y. Hilton for the Texans against the Colts? I mean, yeah, this is great. And yeah, here's a guy who basically sat on the bench with Bill O'Brien as the coach, and and now you're starting to see the the Kiki QT that we kept hoping to see when he got drafted out of Texas Tech. You know, I had a friend of mine who is a Tech alum. I remember him telling me after we drafted QT, I I talked to him about it. He says, "Yeah, you guys have a great guy here." Then he says, "They can't, you can't tackle him. I mean, he's he's so hard to tackle because he's he, he's slippery." Well, you know, now we're starting to see better route running. He's, he's not dropping as many passes. He is definitely starting to step up. And boy, it couldn't come at a better time, especially with Will Fuller being out. You got Brandon Cooks as your number one. Kiki QT is your, you know, your, basically your number two receiver. But then there's another guy that I know you want to talk about who really stepped up today who most people probably don't even know about. Chad Hansen, five catches, 101 yards. And if anybody wondering, who's Chad Hansen? He's a fourth round pick by the Jets in 2017, actually a walk on at Cal when he was in college and he bounced around on practice squads with four other teams before the Texans prior to Sunday, Steven, he had nine career catches all in 2017, five catches, 101 yards. How about that? He and Steven Mitchell were activated before this game. And I noticed that Isaiah Coulter was not active. So that's why you didn't see him play, but yeah, how about that? I mean, you got Chad Hansen who wasn't even activated until before the game, basically. And he steps up, and he has over 100 yards. Wow. It, it, honestly, we we all wondered, what was the passing game going to look like? Was Deshaun just going to have to use his feet more, you know, and hope that Brandon Cooks is, is going to be the guy and stay healthy? And I don't know if they can keep doing this week after week, but my goodness, Kiki QT and Chad Hansen today definitely made Deshaun Watson look even better than he is, at least for this game. 
And those guys are perfect examples why you don't throw dumb money at wide receivers. Randall Cobb is on <laughs> IR. And let's remind everybody, a- another Bill O'Brien you know, PSA that the Texans do not need Cobb next year, but he's over $12 million in dead cap money next year and $2 million in dead cap money the year after that. So what are you going to do, right? And, and, you know, here's the other thing I was thinking about too, Robert, when, and especially after I saw how these guys performed, and, and particularly QT is who I'm thinking of, you know, sometimes you've just got to give a guy, you've got to have some patience with your players. And that's something that Bill O'Brien obviously didn't have. You know, yeah, QT had some mistakes, and of course he had a lot of injuries, but hey, so did Will Fuller. And Will Fuller figured it out until he did a bonehead thing by getting himself suspended. But, you know, here's a, another example of a guy who's been in a, one coach's doghouse for a good long time, basically sitting on the bench. Another coach takes over, he comes in, and he starts performing and starts performing well. So, I'm not saying it's, it's going to be the case all the time, but sometimes you just got to give these guys a little bit more time to figure it out. The one thing that I will say about Kiki QT is he's been back on kickoffs. I don't like him back on kickoffs because he doesn't look good. It looked like the Colts were kicking it uh, inside the five-yard line because they're like, hey, yeah, we don't really respect QT. Now, I don't know, maybe they're kicker can't kick it that deep, but it was kind of like, uh, hey, we don't think you can get it out past the 25. And for the most part, he couldn't. I think he got it out past the 25 one time uh, of, of all the kick, kickoff returns in, that, in this game. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he had one to the, to the 28 at one point. So, you know, that again, that, that just seems to be another weak spot in the Texans special teams is just finding somebody who can consistently return kicks, whether they be punts or kickoffs. If you go through the Texans' possessions, first half, we said it. They they were good. Both teams were good. It was an offensive show in the first half. Uh, first drive, uh, Texans are Texans on first drive. So terrible pass protection on third down. Uh, everybody kind of broke broke it down on that one. But uh, then the second drive, Deshaun, he has the 11-yard touchdown run and the option keeper to finish off the drive. But the story of that drive was that Houdini-like escape earlier uh, where he found QT for 64 yards. Uh, QT's first catch, I believe, of the game and a, a big one at that. Then they had the, the nice drive, six play, 26-yard drive. Um, not not a tremendously long drive, but that got him into field goal range for Fairbairn, who hit a 52-yard field goal. Of course, he'd miss a 52-yard field goal uh, the next possession. So maybe if Fairbairn hits that field goal, the Texans maybe need a field goal to tie at the end of the game. There are a lot, there are a lot of ifs and buts in this game. Uh, the next drive, they go 99 plays, 75 yards. David Johnson, there's a David Johnson sighting. He's, He's back, back playing. <laughs> yeah, and uh, 10 carries for 44 yards. He was fine, but uh, he better be gone when the season over. What bugs me when I watch him, Stephen, is his poor vision. Just too many times when I see him follow like poor blocking instead of cutting back into the open space, I feel like you know I, maybe I get spoiled a little bit by Arian Foster. But despite the poor guard play, which I got on earlier some of those guys, man, David Johnson, he can be better. He can get more yards with better vision. He leaves yards out on the field. Well, he does, Robert. And that's something I'd noticed, you know, early on in the season is when there were holes open for him, it's like he, he wasn't hitting them fast enough and then they would close. And by that point, you're pretty much dead in the water. So if, if that's one thing that, you know, of course we've talked about how the line needs to get better, but the Texans running game, I think one of the ways it can get better is that you can get it back in there 
that can zip through those holes when they are open because they're not going to be open for long. And that that's the one thing I've noticed about David Johnson is he just doesn't hit the holes fast enough when they are there or he goes somewhere else. And by the time he gets there, the holes are gone. Second half. All right. Here's what happens. Uh, there was a fair, fair burn field goal. Good two minute drive at the end of the half. Romeo, by the way, said if you missed it in the post game, he said, Hey, I shouldn't have taken a timeout to try to ice the Colts kicker on the drive before that. They could have used the timeout in that drive, which right. might have given him a shot at a, at a touchdown instead of the field goal. Some people thought, I don't know what you thought, Stephen. Some people thought they should have gone for it with eight seconds to go on third down. I, I just thought play it safe. The, a sack, something bad could happen. Get the field goal, go into halftime. That's fine with me. You know, Robert, I, did, I didn't really agonize over that. And I think part of it, too, you know, for me, I mean, look, the, the Texans were, were four and seven. I mean, it's not like they're in the division chase, really. And, and Romeo, more than likely, unless some miracle happens, is not going to come back next year. I, I just I found it hard. Yeah, I, I didn't agree with a couple of the calls and, you know, how you use the timeouts and some of the game management things. But unlike Bill O'Brien, I, I just I didn't go ballistic over it as far as Romeo was concerned, especially on that field goal. It was one first down and punt on the first drive of the second half. All right, now we get to where I've got a big issue, not with the Texans, but with the refs. And this was just a terrible call. Deshaun gets uh, a slant over the middle. It was an interception. It was a play where Cooks had possession. And if anything, it was mutual possession when Cooks hits the ground. I have never known mutual possession in the NFL not to go to the offense. I don't think there was anything in that play that showed that I'm trying to remember who it was for the Colts defense, but he didn't have full possession of that by the time the ball hit the ground. There was no way by the time both guys hit the ground. I just don't understand that. You know, as usual, the the ref on television was backing his guys and making excuses for him and all that. But I mean, to me, that was just... That, that was like football 101. I've been watching football for 50 years, and I've never seen that play called anything but mutual possession, and the team that on offense gets the ball in mutual possession. Yeah, I have to agree with that, Robert, and, and the unfortunate thing about that along with it is that it, it stopped Deshaun Watson's uh, lack of interception streak or you know the number of games that he had uh, didn't have a pick. And ironically, in the first quarter, he almost had an interception. That one was ruled uh, an incomplete pass instead of a pick. So it's it just kind of a weird how all that turned out. Yeah, the next two drives, it was one first down and punt. It was a sack on third down. Kelamete with bad, bad blocking. Uh, not surprising. Again, I'm ready to get rid of these guys. Next drive, Deshaun sacked for a safety. Now, Titus Howard and Zach Fulton did a terrible job with the stunt, which caused the safety uh, Titus, uh, it's, uh, you know, he's okay. I mean, I'm fine with Titus. Zach Fulton, uh, not good. Now, he was the guy that picked his 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 man up. I don't know what happened between those two, but how many times have we talked about this, Stephen? The communication by the offensive line, terrible. Yeah, absolutely. Communication and just positioning. And just, yeah, Zach Fulton is a guy that I, I think, we, we've seen the best of Zach that we're going to see, and, which isn't a lot, obviously. And Titus Howard, I know we've talked about this before. Yeah, we just you got to give the guy a little more time to get things together. But man, as as bad as this line has been, 
it just somebody needs to step up and, and Titus definitely needs to start coming forward and playing more consistently. But yeah, with Zach Fulton, I, I think we've, we're getting as much of Zach Fulton as we're going to get. As far as Deshaun goes on the day, I mean, the story, you said it, he, he gets his first interception in seven weeks, but I mean, geez, uh, 26 for 38, 341 yards, nine yards per per uh, throw, which is great. And, you know, he gets, he gets sacked five times, but, you know, I used to think, oh, Deshaun gets sacked a lot. And this is about Deshaun sometimes not getting rid of the ball. He's much better at that. I, I didn't see that with uh, the sacks in this game. It, it felt like more, this was the offensive line's fault. And I don't know who's going to get the credit on these sacks or, lack of credit I, you might want to say of the offensive line but it felt like it was just the interior guys and I, I just keep wanting to go back to that but Deshaun Watson he's playing some great football right now and consistently week to week great football absolutely and and we've talked about the getting the ball out faster he's been doing that for the last several games I, I mean I've noticed it and again you know not, we're gonna slam Bill O'Brien one more time I guess it it just seems that we have seen an entirely new Deshaun since Romeo has taken over and Tim Kelly, obviously, you know, it, it just seems to me that even the play calling has been a big difference. And uh, but Deshaun, uh, yeah, as far as the sacks today, I, I can't, I can't fault him on most of those. He has definitely been getting the ball out faster, and that's something you and I've been talking about, wondering for the last several years. When is Deshaun going to figure that out? Well, at least in the last few games, he has been. Since you and I last spoke, Stephen, not much to discuss with the Rockets and Astros, but if people missed it, uh, we broke down the Russell Westbrook uh, trade in a special podcast a couple of days ago. Not much happening with the Rockets beyond that. But Stephen, I I noticed that the Timberwolves hired Rudy Tomjanovich as a consultant. Couldn't the Rockets find a place for him? The guy only won two championships for your franchise. I wondered that myself. I mean, it raised my eyebrows. I, I just saw that uh, a little earlier, not too long before I hopped on with you. And I'm like, um, a consultant? I mean, at least he's not, you know, in the coaching rank where he, he'd be the head coach or something. But yeah, surely if a former Rocket player and coach who got you the only two championships you have, you can't find a spot for him as a consultant on your, on your staff. Uh, yeah. But you know, kudos to Rudy T. I mean, I'm happy for him, but I'm not going to deny it. it. It should be in a Rockets uniform, not, not a Minnesota Timberwolves uniform. Yeah, definitely right about that. Uh, didn't notice anything with the, I mean, was there anything Astros related baseball related that caught your eye this week? Nothing, right? Yeah. Nothing really earth shattering. I mean, the rule five draft is coming up. You know, most people don't pay much attention to that. Most of the names you don't even know. Uh, haven't seen any George Springer sightings anywhere. It, it's a pretty slow period uh, as far as the baseball, but we kind of knew that would be the case, especially with all the unknowns surrounding COVID and, and you know, what, what kind of position these teams are going to be in. So, you know, not too surprising. It's, it's only December that, that baseball in general and the Astros in particular, pretty silent as far as the big moves go. Well, if you need a Houston Cougars fix, go back and listen to my conversation a few days ago with Cougs insider Dustin Rensick, who hosts the Scott Holman podcast. Unfortunately, they had their third straight football COVID cancellation in three weeks. But in basketball, they defeated or stayed undefeated 
Saturday with a nice SEC win over South Carolina, another quality win by the Cougs, but the most under-the-radar story in Houston this weekend Oh, it's got to be those Rice Owls who shocked the football world. They beat a ranked opponent for the first time in 23 years. Joining us is Matthew Bartlett, who covers the Owls for both the Roost podcast and website at theroost.com. Go check it out. Matthew, how in the world did they shut out the 15th ranked Marshall Buffaloes? I'm still pinching myself. That did happen, right? <laughs> oh, man, it's, it, it was crazy. It's funny because, because entering the game, Rice's mantra has always been, you know, intellectual brutality, physicality. They're just going to just kind of out tough you is the game plan. And, and Mike Bloomgren and their staff all week said, and this was a respect to Marshall, said they don't do any. There's no eye candy. There's nothing fancy. There's no stunts. It's just they line up in front of you and they're going to whip you. And they do that to just about everybody they play. But uh, on Saturday, it was Rice that was doing the whipping, and, and Marshall had no answer. Was it the interceptions that you saw? Were, were they – because there was five five interceptions, if anybody missed it. Were they Rice-induced, or do you think Marshall just made mistakes? I think you saw a redshirt freshman quarterback that, for the first time really all year, was kind of looking a bit over his head. Uh, so that was one part. But also the second part was, well, if if you have a redshirt freshman quarterback who's not playing his best game and, and you're calling plays, then you probably want to try to the, turn to the running bank game. They have Brendan Knox, who's a all-conference caliber rusher, and he averaged just around like three-ish yards a carry and, and never really got going. I think he had two carries uh, in the second half longer than five yards. And so if you can't run the ball and you're trailing – what else can you do? So the, I think the Rice defensive line did a fantastic job. He never had a clean pocket. And so I think two or three of those passes that were intercepted came off deflections, but it was it was pressure-induced by Rice. So I, I, you got to give Rice credit. I mean, two or three, maybe that's a, a fluke, but if you get five, you're doing something right. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think you just hit on it, Matthew. The, the thing that really stunned me about this, this game and this victory with Rice is just the number of mistakes that Marshall made. I mean, I just I, I couldn't believe just how many turnovers they had. But I think the other thing, and you, you kind of alluded to it already, was how much, and, and I'm talking about through the entire game, just how aggressive the, the Rice defense was from beginning to end. I mean, they were pursuing these guys. It's so much pursuit. You know, the, the Texans defense could definitely take some lessons, watch the film, for the way the Rice defense played from beginning to end of that game. Yeah, it, it was it was pretty impressive because they a lot of times they started out and you can tell they're I got to give a lot of credit to defensive coordinator Brian Smith. He did a good job dialing up a, a couple creative blitzes early. Uh, to, so you bring in only five guys, but you don't know where the fifth guy is coming from. But really, it was it was the defensive line, and I think. You know, Rice had a lot of players missing in this game for injuries and, and various reasons. Marshall was without their two starting tackles. And you could tell from the jump that the Rice defensive ends were just eating their backups lunch. Like they had they had no answer. And if you can get pressure off both sides without a blitz, uh, there's only so much you can do. And Marshall never really adjusted. They didn't really bring a tight end in or, or do much uh, with their backs to kind of help out. They kind of just let the kid in there to sink or swim. I saw that linebacker Blaze Aldridge said the Rice sideline did not like Marshall's decision to go for it on fourth down right off the bat. As Tony Montana might say in Scarface, a little disrespect, Matthew, a little disrespect. 
Yeah, it, and it was interesting because this is is probably one of the more underrated things when you, you think about a team that hasn't had the success on the field that they want. Uh, that Rice has scored first in their last seven games. That goes back to last season, and uh, they haven't allowed their opponent to score on its first possession in their last thirteen games. Uh, in in their four first quarters this season, they haven't given up a point. And so it's one of the things that this this team, it, it, when they're rolling and, and things are working out, they get their script, their first driver two and get points and they don't let anybody up. And it's a lot easier to win a four quarter game when you're spotting yourself a seven, nothing, 10, nothing lead going into the second. And that's what they were able to do against Marshall. Did this feel like a fluke or is this something that they can build off of? I thought this was interesting because. Bill Connolly at ESPN does a a, a statistic that he, he likes to call uh, po- post-game win expectancy, where it basically says if you put in all of the stats and all the numbers and you look at the flow of the game and you say, was this a game that like you run this same kind of situation time and time again and it happens or they just got lucky? And Rice's post-game win expectancy was 96%, uh, which basically eliminates any fluky outcome this was a game where the defense didn't allow a point you can't lose if you don't allow a point and and the offense without their starting quarterback their starting running back uh their best wide receiver lost their other top receiver uh to an opt-out with an injury at the beginning of the year the defense or the offense had so many pieces missing and they still were able to get enough points on the board and and i think this is kind of you you try you know as somebody who covers a team to not get trapped in the moment in the emotion with everything going on. But if you look at all of the pieces, this kind of has the feeling of a, of a signature victory that this team can build on going forward. Matthew, did you notice after the pick six, did did you notice maybe a, a shift in body language on the Marshall sideline? Because it, it just seemed that, I mean, they were even more lackluster after that uh, than before that uh, through the whole game. I think there was some frustrations, but this was, you know, Rice did a lot of things right, especially early. Uh, but Marshall, just so many careless penalties and mistakes that didn't need to be made. And, and it got to the point with the pick six, you know, I don't really didn't really see them make any sort of adjustment throughout the game to, to shift things. So I, I don't know if there was definitely a moment when the pick six happened and rice goes up 20 to nothing. It kind of felt like, okay, you stop Marshall here at the beginning of the fourth quarter. And we, we got this, that, that that's what the rice sideline was thinking. Uh, and they did. And at that point, you know, you just kind of, it was the realization that this is going to happen. How many games have they had canceled this year? Rice now? Uh, I'm losing track at this yeah. point. So they had, they had, so they made the decision to postpone their season intentionally as they were waiting for, you know, the best testing equipment that they could get. And so from the point, October 24th was their first game against middle Tennessee. From that point, uh, they had three of four games postponed before the Marshall game. So after they started playing, uh, they played two, had three of four canceled, and then now they've played Marshall and hoping to finish up next week against UAB. So you've only had four games to look at. They're two and two. But have any of the players surprised you in that short time? And, and who are the building blocks for this team? 
I think that's probably the most exciting thing because folks that are around Conference USA or Houston football, like they know Blaze Aldridge at this point. He's a first team all conference linebacker. He's a guy that you can probably look at uh, at the next level. You know, I'd love to have him back for one more year, but maybe as soon as next year. But there's so many guys who are so young. And because of the eligibility rules, everybody gets to come back next year if they want to. So uh, Kalen Griffin was a, a dual threat quarterback in high school running back here. He he runs uh, so hard. He had his first 100 yard game last time out against North Texas started for Rice this weekend. Jake Bailey at wide receiver. You saw Naeem Smith, who actually had the pick six, uh, a Juco transfer, played his first year at Rice last year. He's just coming back from a hamstring injury. So that was his first game played all season. And uh, he debuted that way. So he'll be back. They have so many guys that this is kind of thing. This is not a one last push, milk it. This is, okay, we're bringing most of these guys back next year. And, you know, the early signing period is coming up and we can go add to this. From an overall standpoint, just how how do you feel the players have handled this? I don't know. You can put an adjective any way you want. Crazy season with so few games played. I mean, It's hard to motivate yourself, especially if you don't know you're going to play from week to week. Yeah, I I think it was really interesting. And and I think uh, Trey Schumann, defensive end, I was talking with him uh, this week at a media session. And he basically said, you you have to always prepare like the game is going to happen. Because the second you don't and you take your foot off the gas, that's when you get exposed. Right. And and I think their focus so far has been, you know, you know, yeah, they don't want to lose, but they don't want to have to stand in the room next to their teammate and say, hey, I didn't prepare and I'm sorry. And we lost because I didn't know what I was doing or I wasn't where I was supposed to be on this play. And I think that internal motivation has kind of been driving them. And they were they were rusty when they had a couple games postponed and then they came out to play North Texas, but that they didn't look rusty on the field against Marshall, despite a a postponement uh, on game day the week prior. Mike Bloomgren. I think if you ask most Houstonians, he's got about as high profile as I don't know, the garbage truck driver that they've got, I, I, you know, (laughs) he's probably going to be confused for the mayor of New York city or the former mayor of New York city at this point, but uh, three years in, like, what do you think about the job he's doing? Well, I think he came in and he didn't advertise this as a, you know, we're going to flip it around. You know, Dana Holgerson, not to draw rivalry uh, points across town, but he kind of came in and he said, hey, we're going to fix this and we're going to go. And so (laughs) people are kind of uh, hoping to get to see him do that since he hasn't been able to play at at Houston very much this year, like you mentioned. But Bloomberg came in and he said, look, we're going to build this the right way. We're going to get the talent. We're going to coach him up and we're going to get him there. And that's going to be a process. And so we kind of circled this season, year three, as the year where, you know, they won two games. They won three games. This is the year that they, you know, consider pushing for a bowl. And that's what success is. And so who knows? We don't even know what bowl games are going to be played at this point. Uh, but you're looking at two and two with a, a victory over a top 15 team on the road. You shut them out. Uh, if that's not a clear indication that something is working as expected, then I don't know what more he could do because that's arguably the best team that he's played in his tenure. I'm I'm kind of trying to think through it. Um, yeah, I mean, you had a Baylor team last year that contended for the, the Big 12. That I guess might be the only team better. But yeah, I mean, you go out and you stomp them. That's <laughs> pretty proof that things are going in the right direction. 
How much expectation do you feel now? You know, because at least some eyes have, have turned toward the Rice football team after this win. So, you know, I'm not saying that the players are going to feel any more pressure necessarily moving forward, but now that they do have some more attention, do you still think that the guys can continue to move forward and, and maybe build on this as a momentum? I think so. And, and for, for one part, I think nationally, when you see, you know, a top 15 team get shut out and go down, like it, first off, it, it doesn't happen very often, but more often than not, unless you're glued into either program, it's kind of viewed as an off day for, for the, the giant, you know, you know, a Boston college goes and beat Clemson. It's like, Oh, Clemson had a bad day. And so I don't, I don't really think from a, from a national perspective that people are viewing rice too much differently right now, because it was honestly, it was one win from, from an outsider's perspective inside that building. I think it's kind of just a, a proof that the process is working. And, and I think it gets really interesting if if they are able to go out and, and win their last game and finish with a winning record, then it's kind of the, the thing where you can start looking ahead at 2021 and say, you know, hopefully we get a, a tw- whatever a normal season uh, looks like and they can contend for a, a conference championship. Yeah, as a native Houstonian, I'm not a Rice alum. I, I live not too far from where the Owls play, but just excited that they get a moment in, in, in football because these don't come very often, it seems like, with Rice. Uh, what are you looking forward to, before I let you go, what are you looking forward to in the Owls' winter and spring sports? Is there stuff that uh, has got you excited about the next semester worth of Rice sports? Well, I just hope they, they get to finish them, right? That was one of the, the greatest <laughs> buzzkills of this spring. It was wild to me because the, the women's basketball team was actually on the court uh, preparing to tip off for their conference tournament in Frisco, Texas, when, you know, the, the all-stop hit so they were practicing and then they said the tournament's off and they got in a bus and they went home which was bizarre after winning back-to-back conference championships and winning 30 conference games in in a row so uh, the women's basketball team actually just beat texas tech in a game scheduled like four days out because of this covid world that was their first power five win in i believe six years uh, they're undefeated the men's basketball team is also undefeated right now uh, if they have a big game coming up against houston this weekend actually uh, if they are able to knock off houston that would be a huge resume builder and would put them at five and zero for the first time since 2000 so uh, basketball is going really well uh, obviously rice baseball always has high expectations and they just brought in one of the best signing classes that they've had in shoot several years maybe a a decade so uh, the arrow is pointing up on rice athletics and that's certainly gonna extend to the spring and yeah i didn't even mention soccer and volleyball which is hoping for another conference uh tournament uh, a a win and an ncaa bid so it's it's a lot of good things after the year we've had it it was really fun to get that moment on saturday and to kind of see things uh pointing up in the right direction well, I got to tell you, Matthew, with all the frustration that Houston sports has had, I, I'm already feeling better in these last few minutes talking to you because it, it yeah, we're we're definitely on the upswing here with with Rice doing so well. Yeah, go, go watch the game again. It's you know, even if you're not a Rice fan, like go pull it up, and when you watch an underdog win and win like that, it's just uh it's crazy. You Virginia going down in the, uh, in, I'm not I'm saying that was the, the caliber of the upset, but like when the underdog is winning the whole time, you're just like, Oh, oh man, this is, this is kind of fun. 
How many people were in the stands to see this upset? Was there anybody? <laughs> I, I don't I, I don't know what the official tallies was. I think it was in the, the low thousands of uh, how many people they let in. But it was a, a sight to be seen. Oh, attendance, 10,000. I, I knew there were at least some fans in the stands. And, and from what I understand, and I don't I don't follow Marshall football that closely, but they can get pretty rabid up there, can't they? Yeah, as far as the the Conference USA fan bases, they're they're one of the uh, probably the and I'll get in trouble for saying somebody from Conference USA will get mad at me, but they're they're up there in in terms of uh, involvement and and people that care and and packing their house. So to see them silenced, however many of them there were there, it was a uh, it was quite something. Remind everybody how they can follow what you're doing over at the Roost. Yeah, absolutely. We're on, you know, all the social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at The Roost. We got a a Patreon as well, patreon.com slash at The Roost, giving uh, everything that's going on in in Rice Athletics and and what's going on with Conference USA. So uh, like we talked about, it's a a lot of good things and it might be getting even better. So uh, appreciate everyone stopping by and giving us a look. Thanks so much for doing this. Excited to talk to you about a huge Rice Owls upset and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.